So good to see all of you. If you turn your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 9, I'll be reading from verse 7 through 10, a short passage today. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verses 7 through 10. Hear now God's holy word. Go, eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white, let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love, all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hands find to do, do it with your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Well, we've been journeying through the book of Ecclesiastes for the last several months, uh, headed towards the home stretch here uh, in this book. We were immensely uh, blessed and helped by Dr. Riken's handling of one of the most difficult passages for us last week in chapters 8 and 9 on the topic of living and dying, life and death. And I know many of you guys were uh, very blessed and convicted by that. And I highly recommend listening to the sermon if you missed last week and for all of us to, to send that audio or that video to friends or family who could use some encouragement of life under the sun. Life under the sun is vanity, Solomon says, the preacher king. It's vanity meaning fleeting, frustrating, confusing. It doesn't make sense, meaningless but especially so when lived apart from God. Solomon is always reminding us that left to our own devices, we will always choose a life of rebellion and disobedience and vanity. But if you live near God, if you trust in him, what the Bible and the whole Bible calls faith, if there is saving faith, if there is faith given to us as a gift of God's grace, then Solomon says that naturally, organically, your life will resemble a fear of the Lord, a phrase that he uses throughout um, this whole book. And he emphasizes this all the way to the very end in chapter 12. But one of the main points Solomon focused on in this last bit in chapter 9 is that if one lives in the righteous way, quote-unquote, or lives in wickedness, they all have the same fate as in regards to their biological living. They will all both come to an end eventually. And the perplexing bits of life is trying to understand why bad things happen to the righteous uh, in chapter 8, and why do good things perpetually happen to those who live wickedly? Who can understand such things is Solomon's lament and cry. But at the end of the day, all of us fall short of God's glory. All of us are tainted with death, deserving sin. How is that possible? Well, Romans 5.12, the Apostle Paul says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. This is a, a virus of all viruses that hit every last person. We, we just came out... Uh, of COVID-19, a global pandemic. But some people were fortunate enough never to get it. 
Even if they live in the same household, they're like, we, we don't understand it. Over all these years, I, I, I never caught the virus. But for us, yes, as Tyler was leading us in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, oh, Adam and Eve had that ability to choose right versus wrong. But they choose sin. And that brought in, oh, this disease that will infect every single human being that is born. And now our will never chooses what is right unless God intervenes and regenerates our heart. This is what we believe. This is what Solomon is already knowing and thinking. Oh, a thousand years before Paul would write those words. But with sin, nobody escaped. Death spread to all because of sin. And this is Solomon's view of the end of all things. This is why living under the sun is such vanity. As he looks around, because we live in a fallen world. But what Solomon encourages, though, in last week's passage, is that it's better to be a dog, which was not a, a, a popular way to be described back in that day. It's better to be a dog that is living than a conquering, powerful lion that is dead. Meaning, if you have breath today, if you have breath, there is still this opportunity to live life in the presence of God, admittedly under the sun with all its toils, but in the hands of the Almighty. That it's not too late to turn to the Lord in loving joy and acceptance. But Solomon always brings us back to the reality that the clock of life is most definitely ticking. Because for the already dead, he is saying, their fate is already sealed. But now Solomon doesn't unpack his, he doesn't go into, well, let's, let's talk about the afterlife, let's talk about what happens after death. That's for other parts in the Bible to understand. But he doesn't need to go there. Because at this point, he's focused on what you are doing right now. And in today's short passage, he unpacks the actions and attitudes we should all aspire to as we all have these remaining days. Before we go into the passage, let's go to the Lord in prayer again. Father, we do ask for the illumination of your holy word by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, open up our eyes, open up our minds and our hearts oh, to your eternal truths. And I resonate with uh, Elder Tabethi's prayer that we need your spirit, oh God. Change us, transform us inside out. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the work, the finished work of your son. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, a couple of years ago, I was at the beach with several friends and their children. The sun was bright. It was like, you know, like, I, I, I don't mind the fall and the winter. I, I don't mind cooler temperatures. What I can't stand, though, is like, above 90 degrees, right? And just bright sun without any clouds. But this day, it was around 80 degrees and bright and sunny, and we were all having fun. It was like 10 or 12 of us. Everyone brought their tents, except for me, because I always mooch off people. And so yeah, we set all that up. Everyone brought food and snacks for the kids and for the pastor. And, uh, you know, and, and it was just wonderful. We played soccer. I couldn't keep up with them, but it was still like running around, happy Robin, right? And, you know, the guy was coming out with a cart with, with the popsicles and the ice cream. I got my Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle, you know, a throwback to when I was growing up. And I looked at my friend and I said, brother, sometimes life is good. And he kind of chuckled and, and kind of laughed. And he was like, yeah, sometimes life is good. And I, I was probably going through something at, at that, that period of time. 
But for those three hours on that sunny beach, I, I looked around and I said, sometimes life can be really good. Well, in today's passage, the preacher king commends us to live the good life, to count our blessings, as we mentioned two weeks ago, but to live life with urgency and not passively. He's not just saying, well, here's an option for you. Let me give you some counseling tips, 50 points. If you do all these things, you decide, do you want to pursue the good life? Do you want to find joy in your life? No, he's saying, no, 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 this is, this is not optional. Let me commend you, as he does in uh, chapter 8, verse 15. Let me commend you now in chapter 9 to pursue the good life in gratitude. And so in these very short verses, he has five commands for us to follow. And you can see this through these uh, verse 7 through 10. Go, eat, drink, enjoy, and then finally at the end, do. Go, eat, drink, enjoy, and do. You can underline that in your Bibles. And this is the fifth enjoyment passage out of a total of seven in the book of Ecclesiastes. Even if you've been here for all the months that we've preached through Ecclesiastes, and I said, how many times do you think Solomon, the preacher king, Kohelet, would talk about enjoyment? Maybe a lot of you guys, even if you were sitting through all the sermons, would say, I don't once, twice. But it's really interesting that Solomon despite all the topsy-turviness of the world, life under the sun, vanity of all vanities, he talks about enjoyment seven times in a book that only has 12 chapters. For all the doom and gloom one ascertains as they read this book, there sure is a lot of repeated refrains of finding joy and enjoyment. And so if I could characterize his overall point in the book, and, I, and I've done this several times through the series, I just jotted down, just, just my own words, despite life being so perplexing, difficult, and confusing, find joy in the Lord as you fear him. That is, I think, a, a summary thus far all the way through chapter 9. Despite life being so perplexing, confusing, Solomon is always saying, well, still find joy in the Lord as you fear him. And we've defined what that term is, the fear of the Lord is a devotion to him, a, a reverence in a wanting to obey him and to follow him and to trust in him. This awe, this reverence to say, I, I want to belong to the creator king. And the good life is possible when lived in the presence of God. Solomon keeps hinting at this. Some of you may remember the Latin phrase uh, that we've mentioned here before over the years, that's the phrase or motto, corum Deo, corum Deo, before the face of God. I think Ligonier Ministries describes this phrase very well. They write, as Christians bought with the precious blood of God's Son, we receive the promise of an eternal home in his presence. Knowing all this, our privileged purpose as Christians is to live humbly under God's authority and to live joyfully for his glory. This is life quorum Deo, before the face of God. We don't do this perfectly. We don't do this to merit something. Um, we don't measure up in quorum Deo on most days. But this is the attitude that we aspire to. This is really essentially uh, another way of summarizing the fear of the Lord. We want to live under your authority, God, but we also want to live in joy 
before your glory and your presence, before the face of you, God, in loving fear of the Lord. Remember that as we go through today's passage, that if God commands us through his word to pursue a certain way, he then enables us to do so as we respond to his loving kindness and grace. He never commands us. He never gives an imperative in the scriptures and says, well, but you're never going to even be able to, not even with the renewed heart and the ministry of the Spirit, be able to do this. But of course, without regeneration, without the power of God in you, in our union to God through Jesus Christ, of course, none of this, none of this can even be measured at all. But he's commanding this because this is the way. This is the path God has for us. And the commands are simply responses to what God has already done for us. We always talk about the indicatives and the imperatives. What God has done for us, and now the imperatives are not so that we can stay saved or so that we can earn an extra mile so that we can get to heaven quicker or whatever, whatever. But no, it's the indicatives that God has displayed, especially in culminating in the finished work of Jesus Christ, that we then respond to the commands and the imperatives in Scripture out of joy, out of a response of his grace. Not things to do to get his attention, to love us, to forgive us a little bit more, or to save us, or to keep us safe. No, it's all just a response of joy and gratitude. And so let's begin with verse 7. Go, eat, with, eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart. That, that's actually wine, that's not a really sugary grape juice that's drink your wine with a merry heart for God has already approved what you do three of the five commands in this passage are found here in verse seven go eat and drink and I agree with scholars that point out that there is an added urgency with the preacher king when he says go he has just outlined the reality of death comes to all but since you're still breathing, since you're still alive, and you're, you're hearing this or you're reading this, don't just wallow in the remaining days of your life, but go. More than any of the other six passages that deal with enjoyment in life found in Ecclesiastes, this passage is the most urgent about finding enjoyment. A simple way to summarize his attitude is in the title there on the screen. Go! with joy. Go. Don't just go to get busy with something. I, I, I got to do something, so I just got to go. Go on living with joy, a joy that can only come from the hand of God. And so what are some of the practical ways to enjoy life in the presence of God? Well, we have the next two commands. Eat your bread. I love bread. Eat your bread with joy. And drink your wine. I'm allergic to alcohol, so, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm tracking. And drink your wine with a merry heart. The same sentiment was made earlier in chapter 815. I said that before, when he commends us to joy, even in our eating and drinking, and enjoy the allotment of life God has appointed for you, whether you have plenty or not very much, enjoy the allotment God has for you. Why is Solomon repeating the emphasis on enjoying your food and drink? Because this is because, probably because this is, eating and drinking is part of the very fabric and essence of being alive. Not that Solomon was just a foodie, or at worst, you know, a drunkard. 
But eating and drinking is part of the very basics of being a human being. One can indeed find enjoyment in being married with basic things. There's a Korean phrase that is often used after someone goes for many hours of not eating. Let's just say, you know, you go shopping, you're hanging out with friends, and it's been eight, nine hours since your last meal. And when they start digging into the bowl of food, after a couple of bites, someone would often say in Korean, which I won't say because I don't even know it, but I know it when I hear it, and I've heard my mom say this, okay, I'm going to survive. It's just a very basic kind of phrase that people know. I'm going to live. Now, of course, literally, it's if you didn't get to eat that day, you were going to die. But it's just a, an expression of phrase. Ooh, I'm going to survive. There's not just a joy in eating the food, but a remembrance that we are alive. Whoa, I've forgotten the taste. I've forgotten how nourishing this. I, I forgot how tasty food is and I'm going to survive. Or imagine coming in from hiking out in freezing temperatures and you, you come inside where it's warm and you dig into that big bowl of hot stew and you say that Korean phrase, I'm going to survive, I'm going to live. You'll notice that many of these directives can be most joyful when done in the context of community. This type of merrymaking warms the heart, encourages the downtrodden, those deep in discouragement. Scholars point out well, though, that this is not eating and drinking because of mere fatalism. Fatalism without hope. You remember Paul, he would quote the popular secular slogan that Jews and Gentiles uh, 2,000 years ago alike knew very well. What is that phrase? Let us drink, eat and drink for tomorrow we die. And he, he, it's, he's quoting this phrase. And in context, that's found in 1 Corinthians 15, 32. If the dead are not raised... If our faith is futile, we should be more, pitied more than anybody else. If, if, that's, if that's the case and there's no resurrection, then let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. That if Jesus cannot save us and resurrect us, surely we are just waiting for our final doom. Might as well just eat like gluttons and get drunk if we're just awaiting this. But of course, Paul believes Christ will not only redeem us, but definitely resurrect us when he returns. And so Solomon, a thousand years before Paul could write that, is not advocating for some fatalistic hedonism like pagan society would, but rather enjoy the simpler things in life as you live before God, that, again, that response to God, and to be cognizant that you're not tied ultimately to this fallen world under the sun. Meaning there's hope for us after this. So live joyfully then in the here and now before God, your creator, who gave you all these good things to enjoy. Nobody in the scriptures is advocating for gluttony or drunkenness, but enjoyment with gratitude. You see, God is the one who created this, this concept of joy. God intended also for our enjoyment. Psalm 104, verse 15. And wine to gladden the heart of man oil to make his face shine, that's going to be alluded to later, and bread to strengthen man's heart. All three mentioned in today's text, if God intended for us to enjoy these things, then the last bit of verse 7 is clear to us, right? Look, look at your Bibles. For God has already approved what you do. 
For God has already approved what you do. I love that. The preacher king is not saying God approves of wickedness and sinful living, but he has approved of your enjoyment of these things that he has provided for you. This goes all the way back to the creation account in Genesis 1 and 2. You'll notice this cool correlation to all the things that are commended by Kohelet, the preacher king, can be traced back to the creation account. We have dominion over all things to eat and drink, done so within the framework of companionship and community. To enjoy then what God has ordained for you to enjoy should alleviate the pressures of even rigid religious parameters that even I grew up with earlier in my life that Paul warned about in Colossians 2.20 where people would legalistically say, don't taste, don't touch, don't eat. Paul is saying that's not even going to prevent you from sinning anyways. But this is about the matter of the heart when you enjoy these gifts of God. So today, enjoy that God has granted you breath, that God has given you good food and drink, and be merry. I was reading one uh, theologian who was just writing about this. That, that's why we often pray before a meal. But then also, was, his, his grandfather would always pray after the meal too. Not, not a legalistic formula to do. And I was even reminded of the last night, I, I was, uh, we, we were hosting a, a newer couple and a family here at the church uh, with the Purdies and and, you know, I, I forgot to pray at the beginning. I, I didn't feel any guilt or shame or anything like that. But at the end, I was like, I think it's appropriate, though. It was a wonderful meal, wonderful conversations to give thanks and joy for what he always continually provides. Enjoy that God has granted you breath, that God has given you good food and drink and be married. This is pre-approved. Don't you love getting notices that you're pre-approved for something? You're pre-approved to get into some program. You're pre-approved to go on to an extended vacation. Thank you. You're pre-approved for a joy you're trying, a, a job you're trying to apply for. You're pre-approved to attend an exclusive event. You have this badge. Years ago, my brother-in-law and I got VIP tickets to an NFL game. It was the Washington, uh, now they're known as the Commanders. And because we got these VIP tickets, we had access to the family dinner tent after the game. So what would happen after the game? I think they won the game. Players and their guests, everyone's happy and, and family, would enjoy a large buffet as they relax after a grueling game. And you know me, I love large buffets. So I, I, I get starstruck. I get starstruck if I meet a Culver's manager. I mean, but to see <laughs> NFL players up close and personal, that was a treat. So we get our food and sit down and two people come sit right across from us and they have this starstruck look on their face too, like how did we get invited to this? And they sheepishly look at us and nervously ask, so what positions do you guys play? <laughs> my brother-in-law is an Ironman, I think three times, but he's about my height. So we were not in comparison to these six foot eight, eight offensive defensive linemen, we, we, we stuck out. And so I, you know, me, I'm, I'm just a jokester. I was like, I'm the kicker. And, uh, you know, we all left and, and I said, no, we're, we're, just, we're just guests, we're just visitors there. I bring this up because since we were already pre-approved to be here, there, there, was, there, there, there was a freedom to just enjoy our time and enjoy the food and drink without wondering, are we going to get 
kicked out or, or do we, are, are we going to do something wrong? Solomon is not talking about sinful indulgence, obsession of luxury, as Martin Luther points this out, but a freedom, a freedom to enjoy what's in front of you. Some people are guilty, feel guilty, enjoying something that the Lord has provided. But when you enjoy the gifts of God, you are in turn enjoying the creator of those things. I'm not making fun of anyone who feels like, you know, if I'm thinking about starving children, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about those less fortunate, and, and I get that. You, you feel like, can I really be happy about this situation? But the formula that God has ordained and set up is that because he is the provider and he has provided these things, you are pre-approved to be married, to enjoy these gifts of God. Of course, don't end up obsessing and worshiping the gift, but worship the giver, but enjoy, be thankful for what he has provided. 1 Timothy 4.4, 4, for everything created by God is good. Every, for everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. But nobody likes to hear, well, you're definitely not approved yet, but just keep trying harder. Maybe you'll be permitted. Maybe you'll get in. Oh, we have enough to be concerned and anguish about, brothers and sisters, with life under the sun. Won't you pause, and this maybe is a really good week to do so, won't you pause to enjoy the simpler things of life and to follow this imperative to be commended to this joy? So we have our first three commands, imperatives in verse 7. Go urgently, eat and drink with a merry heart. Now verse 8. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Historians all agree that back in the ancient context, uh, white meant dressed up. If you had a white garment, that was like special occasion. Even in militarily, if warriors won a war or battle, they would come back and they would be washed up and they would wear these white garments after huge victories. Nobody wants to celebrate in muddied, spoiled clothes, but to be dressed in white meant something joyful. And of course, the opposite was true in those days. When you wanted to lament or be lowly, you'd wear sackcloth and cover yourself with ash. But garments in white meant it's time for rejoicing. Oil was, of course, medicinal, but also fragrant. It, it increased your outward appearance. In a world where lots of things didn't look good or smell good, this oil helped. Don't just find joy in things you can consume, but present yourself as one who is indeed caught up in joyfulness. That's, that's probably one of the hardest things I can ever imagine to see in in any given life and over the hundred or so here that we know that life can be so difficult and rough and topsy-turvy and you get bad news all the time but Solomon is saying oh, don't let that defeat you instead be joyful be commended to find enjoyment present yourself as one who's full of joy not because of your circumstances because of who you belong to and so now to the fourth imperative, enjoy. Look at verse 9. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Again, this is similar to the motive behind chapter 8, verse 15, that if, 
that you thank God for granting you your portion, whatever that might be, and to enjoy all these things while living under the perplexing world we live in. Paul says this in Philippians, that he had to learn contentment. He didn't just say, I woke up one day and I was just content, but he had to learn contentment, whether he had plenty or, or, or not anything, whether he was in jail or free and free to go. This or that, whatever the circumstance, I've learned to be content. I've learned to accept what God has allotted for me in this life, and I could still find joy. He brings up companionship and the gift of marriage. Better to go through life's searing sun with another than to go through this alone. He's, what is he saying? A man should prize his wife and vice versa, not abuse or use for his own gain, but to enjoy life with that person. Now, I officiated a wedding recently over the summer, and, and I, I saw them recently in the other week. They seem to be enjoying each other as a new family unit before God, and you could just see the expression of joy. But what about those here after 10 years? What about the couple that, you know, I just officiated their wedding after 10 years, 20 years, 30 years? Some of you guys have been married for over 40 years. Praise God for that. But there are some that go, you know, you know, am I really praising God for that? Do I really enjoy another because this is a gift, a blessing for you? Or was it only for the first 5, 10, 15 years? You know, I don't need a long story for many of you to be convinced that through those years, life must have been up and down. Times of joy and times of deep stress and angst where you thought, can I really go on enjoying this other? Well, with urgency, Solomon is commending you to enjoy this time with your spouse because there's a long life ahead of you of toiling under the sun. Or even if it's just five years left or 10 years left or, or whatever, it's still life under the sun. So you need to take advantage of this, he's saying. Enjoy it, don't just get by, but rekindle the friendship, the companionship, the cherishing, the prizing, the loving, the serving of one another. I imagine this verse brings some conviction for you if you're, if you're married and you're this week maybe doing a self-audit of your relationship and your attitude towards him or her. But instead of wallowing in guilt then about, oh, look at all these years that have passed, that I've messed up, instead of wallowing in that, Ask God to convict your heart, to prize and to cherish, to enjoy the life with your spouse. Even going back to the creation account again, God gave Adam Eve for companionship, and this was from the goodwill of God. So when you ask yourself, how can I enjoy anymore? Well, all true enjoyment has its genesis in God. And so I imagine the closer you fellowship with your creator, the greater you'll find joy in his gifts. There is no way that if I want to just hide from God, let's just do an experiment. Three months, I'm just going to hide from God. I'm never going to commune with him. I'm never going to show up uh, in, in public worship or sit under any preaching. And I'm never going to read his word. I'm never going to pray and commune with him. And then to expect joy to outflow from my heart? Of course not. Paul Winters is, is wonderfully leading our men's group on the means of grace, not, not just the sacred, but all these ordinary means of grace that he allows us to commune with him and to grow, but also in community, that when we take advantage of all these means of grace, 
oh, when you look at these imperatives, you would say, of course. Of course I want to enjoy the little things that he provides every day. Of course, if you're married, he, I, I would want to cherish and prize a spouse. Of course I want to present myself as one, not just, just down for the count, but, but present and presentable, not just in an exterior way, but just my attitude of joy despite whatever circumstance. Now to the final verse in our fifth final imperative and command. Do. Look at verse 10. Whatever your hands finds to do, do it with your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom assuring to which you are going. Remember his early statement about better to be a dog that is alive than a powerful lion who is dead. Going back to the theme of urgency, when life is troubling under the sun, don't wallow in inactivity and idleness. That's not going to improve your situation. This is not even talking about paid employment, but if you're retired or not old enough to, or experienced enough to get a job, or if you can't work for some reason, or if you're in transition between jobs, find purpose and work in something and do it with all your might, meaning all your focus, all your energy. Again, we find that connection that even before sin entered into the world, was work there? Yes, God created work for mankind even before the fall. So work in itself is a God, a good God-given thing. But because of sin, work can be a drag sometimes, and difficult and painful even. But if you have breath, better to work with diligence now than have none of this ability in Sheol. That Sheol is not a synonymous with hell. It's just a way to say to the grave. That's where all people are going to go, to the grave. Whatever you do, do for the glory of God. This whole passage can remind us of the first question in the Westminster Shorter Catechism. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. Things we get to experience here in life can be a foretaste of what we'll have in perfection in heaven. I'm going to allude to that at the very end. Solomon is trying to be this good caretaker of your soul. He's almost like a counselor that is always with you. Just reminding you from this book by pointing you to urgently find enjoyment in the things that God has gifted you for the sake and glory of God. Because I think he's been there, done that, that if he doesn't, if he's not pursuing this life, the world caves in on you and becomes a trillion pound uh, uh, um, of weight that is just going to bring you down and down. Because he's, look, he, the whole nine chapters is, look, look around, evil abounds, wickedness. Our own hearts are wicked. So you need to counteract that by being commended to find joy. To repeat with the psalmist out of gratitude, Psalm 107, 9, for he has satisfied the thirsty soul and the hungry soul he has filled with what is good. You know, you need to just pause in the midst of the hard life, Solomon encourages us, to be awakened to the good life that God provides encouragements for the for the here and now. And remember that definition explained earlier about the Latin phrase quorum Deo. Our privileged pur purpose as Christians is to live humbly under God's authority and to live joyfully for his glory. This is life quorum Deo before the face of God. Remember that. Well, we can trace that back to something found in Psalm 1611. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Well, in conclusion, what are ways that I, that I remember the good life 
I remember my Savior, I'd say daily. I remember his perfect obedient life. I remember his perfect atoning death on the cross. I realize very frequently the life is not worth living without him. And the older you get, the more you realize this truth because life under the sun is full of hardships and trouble and toiling. So as you grow more and more thankful, you ask yourself often, where would I be without Jesus? I also remember to take enjoyment out of simple things like good food and drink, friendships, walks in nature, looking at beautiful art or learning more about the created world. This is how I remember to pursue the good life. I remember community and how important that is to have friends, to have those I can lean on even here at this church body and share laughs, many laughs, but also many burdens with. You don't know how grateful I am for you all to have that. But one definite way I'm encouraged is thinking about what is to come. And one theologian pointed this out, and, and even as Tyler mentioned at the beginning of the service, this is not the end of the story. One of the things that really encourages me is to think about what is to come. And the scholar was mentioning that any of us can really connect the dots eventually. That everything there in chapter 9, verse 7 through 10, has a kind of pretext of what is going to happen in the future, in the book of Revelation. That there will be perfect joy. There's going to be eating and drinking at the wonderful banquet. We are going to be clothed in white garments and robes. Instead of anointing over our head with oil, we're, we're anointed with the Holy Spirit. There will be no more marriages in heaven, but we will still experience the enjoyment of life eternal with the true groom, Christ, our head and the church in purity now as his bride. Turn on the news, talk to somebody who has terminal cancer, try to carry the, the burden of work, or for some of you guys, young parents, just that heavy burden of lack of sleep and just a topsy-turviness even in the home. And that you pause and say, well, Ecclesiastes did commend me to joy, but even though all the hardships here are difficult, no one's denying that. God, help me to be grateful and joyful that I belong to you, but that this is not the end of the story, that there is a future for all of us will be gone and all of us would be renewed. And some of you guys here, if you're stuck in neutral or if you're feeling like I'm, I'm actually going backwards and you need urgent prayer to be lifted up out of the rut of life under the sun, reach out to me, reach out to those here at the church. Let's not anguish by ourselves, but point one another, and I say this for myself too, point one another to Christ and his light his gospel good news and then we realize that's that's why I can find joy because what Christ has already done for me and then in turn and as a God-driven result we will be able to find joy in the midst of darkness yes praise be to our great God let's bow our heads and pray father thank you for being our creator but also the creator of enjoyment, the creator
creator of happiness and joy, the, cre the creator of all good things from heaven that bless our souls and nourishes us. Father, we realize that we're not going to walk out of here pretending that everything is just sunshine in our lives. But even in the deepest and the darkest and the craziest storms imaginable, that we could still find joy in the promises of you, God, and what you have done on our behalf through the Son. But life will continue to be hard. Life will continually be filled with tragedies and sadness. But Lord, keep our eyes lifted up. Keep our focus and our gaze on you, almighty God, for what is to come for eternity if we trust and believe in you. But also in the here and now, help us not be on an island going through life under the sun. Help us to carry one another's burdens, but also to spur each other on to good works, to respond in joy, to go and eat and drink and be merry, to do everything with all our might, to enjoy friendship, companionship, uh, even in the context of the body of the Son. God, we thank you, Lord, for these reminders in Ecclesiastes. We thank you that it's so raw and so in our face because we can really talk about tough things. And even though it's hard to hear sometimes, God, I pray for a breakthrough in all of our minds, all of our hearts. Transform us, God, with your Holy Spirit, even as we leave here today. We thank you for what steadfast and amazing love that you have for your children. We pray this in Jesus' name.